Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. Reading what the Hebrew scriptures say about the Messiah was a turning point for many Jewish believers in Jesus. They were shocked to find that their own Bibles speak about Yeshua. In recent episodes, we have explored several Messianic prophecies. Each one highlights a specific aspect of who the Messiah is and what he would do. These prophecies said that he would deliver Israel from its enemies, teach righteousness, die to atone for sin, rise from the dead, and rule over the earth. Today, we will hear testimonies from three Messianic Jewish believers. Each one of them caught a glimpse of the prophetic portrait of the Messiah in the Tanakh and realized that it could only be describing one person, Yeshua. First, we will hear from Jacques, a rabbi's son. When he saw a friend turn to the so-called prophecies of Nostradamus, he began to wonder about prophets in his own Jewish faith. As he read biblical prophecies, he was amazed at the detail of what scripture said about the Messiah. There was one prophecy in particular that made him realize that Jesus is that promised Messiah. Take a listen. Are we going to bet our own eternal future on a false prophet? This silence spoke volumes to me. I knew I was into something really deep. I grew up in Morocco. I come from a religious family. My grandfather was a rabbi, so was his father and grandfather. He was less and less comfortable for Jews to live in Muslim countries. Going to school and coming out, and there were some young Muslims waiting for us with sticks, and we had to fight our way home. I remember my father used to say, if you forget you're a Jew, they will remind you. I was 13 years old when we moved to Montreal. And it was when I was in college that my friends had a special interest in Eastern religion, I remember, and also in prophecies. And I remember one of my friends was going into Nostradamus prophecies. And I said, don't do that. Why would you go to Eastern religion? We have Daniel, Ezekiel. Why should we go to see other prophets? And they said, okay, fine. So what did they say? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll find out. For the sake of my friends, 
I went to in inquire. I went to see my father and I said, do you know about the prophets? Did they see anything about our times? My father said, no, I don't know. I said, did your father leave anything? Did he ever tell you something? Did he leave any books? Uh, my father said yes. And so he brought me uh, three beautiful books. Uh, great, but they were cedars, you know, nothing there. About a week later, there were people who came to the college and they set up a book table. I picked up the first book and I turned it around and it said what the Hebrew prophets say about the end time prophecies. I looked at the table and it was a Christian table. They were evangelists and I saw the name of Christ. I saw crosses. If I'd seen this before, maybe I wouldn't have gone there. How can they know about my own book better than me, better than my father? So I took the book. I would see from the corner of my eyes the name of Jesus. I will skip over it. I associated the name of Jesus to anti-Semitism. And I was dumbfounded about the preciseness and the importance of prophecies in the scriptures. We have the prophecy of Moses in the Torah. We have the prophecies of David in the Ketubim. This is when the writer spoke about uh, the Messiah. He mentioned Isaiah 53. Ah, that did it. How uh, I was so touched by, by, by the clearness of the words in there. I couldn't believe it. It is so concise, so descriptive, the hero dies. And not only that, the hero was led as a lamb to the slaughter and he didn't open his mouth. That was him. One who comes perfect with no sins to come and die for us. And this is what Isaiah 53 says. I recognize them. This is when I accepted the Lord Yeshua as my personal savior. I saw him there. I met my God. I've never felt as Jewish as I did then. My brother uh, brought me to see one of the chief rabbi in Montreal. And uh, right away he says to me, you know, the Messiah doesn't die. I said to him, but you know, I just read in the Talmud that, you know, the Messiah dies in Sanhedrin 98b. He went and he opened up his, his book and he saw it and he went around the table once and he came back and he said to me, he says, uh, this is one opinion. But we go, as, as Sephardims, we go with what Maimonides, the Rambam, says. And the Rambam says very clearly that Jesus is not the Messiah and, and that the Messiah doesn't die. So I said to him, I said, do you consider the Rambam a prophet? And he says, yes, from Moses to Moses, Moses Maimonides and Moses from the scriptures. And I said, but you know, uh, Maimonides gave a prophecy that didn't come about. Are we going to bet our own eternal future on a false prophet? It didn't go well. He got very angry, of course. He banged on the table uh, and he said, you're lying, he says. He never said that. I found a book in French where Maimonides writes to Rabbi Al-Fuhami in Yemen and where he gives that, that prophecy and I brought it to him. And he said to me, he says, there are mysteries that I don't understand. And he gave me back the book. I knew I was into something really deep, really great. You know, in rabbinical Judaism, uh, the idea of Messiah is so broad, you know, depending who you ask, you'll get a different answer. You, we know, uh, you know, that when you take two Jews, you get three opinions. When you get to the Messiah, you get maybe 10 opinions. The reason why they came up with two Messiahs, Messiah ben David and Messiah ben Yosef, is because they couldn't put the two comings of the Messiah together. They do not go by what the scripture says. When you go to the Torah, when you go to the Tanakh, the idea, the concept of the Messiah is clear. You know, Yeshua said it in, in Yohanan 5.46. He says, if they knew Moses, they would know me. If you stay within the scriptures, 
And if you stay within the Torah, within the Nevi'im, the Ketubim, you will find Yeshua. He is right there. He's waiting for you in the scriptures. Once Jacques read Messianic prophecy for himself, the Messiah's identity became clear. His story is a marvelous example of the power of God's word, which does not return empty. We'll be right back. There are many passages in the Bible that speak about the Messiah, but how can we understand them? Isaiah 53 Explained, written by Chosen People Ministries President, Dr. Mitch Glazer is a great resource for those who are searching for truth and looking to have a relationship with God. This book contains testimonies, a list of messianic prophecies, and an in-depth look at how we can receive atonement for our sins. Download the ebook for free at isaiah53.com today. Shalom. As the year draws to a close and the Advent season approaches, many of us will reflect on the Messiah's first coming and celebrate His birth. This year, experience Advent in a whole new way when you attend our free online conference, Advent Through Jewish Eyes. We will hear from three Jewish believers in Jesus on what the Hebrew Scriptures say about the Messiah's coming. Our speakers are Moody Bible Institute Professor Dr. Michael Rydelnik, President of Chosen People Ministries, Dr. Mitch Glazer, and radio host, Dr. Michael Brown. This free event is on Thursday, December 9th, 2021, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Register at chosenpeople.com advent today. And now, back to our program. Jacques is not the only Jewish person who thought believing in Jesus is anti-Jewish. Hyland Slobodkin also felt the same way. He grew up in a traditional Jewish family, but in the 1960s, he took drugs, practiced transcendental meditation, and turned to Eastern religions. When he saw the darkness he was in, he embarked on a quest for truth. Listen to his story. I started going into this dark place that was like vibrating and it got darker and darker. I'm never gonna come back from this place. My family's the Fiddler on the Roof story where the pogroms were growing against the Jews and the Tsar was, they were attacking villages and, and they left with, with what they could carry. I grew up in what we affectionately called the Borscht Belt. My parents actually spoke Yiddish in the house. It was their secret language. I was raised a Zionist. We revolved around Israel. We went to synagogue on the holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. I remember the sukkah in our backyard. Some of the fondest memories were going to camp at Habonim. And we'd sing Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. We'd sing Hevenu Shalom Aleichem. Growing up in the 60s, I was influenced by what we called the love generation. I was doing LSD, cocaine, psilocybin, mescaline, methadrine, nembutal, secanol, tetrahydrocannabinol, and a few other things. If everybody in the world got stoned, the world would be a better place. Now that was a lie. We didn't know it at the time. 
met my wife in 1967. We got initiated into Transcendental Meditation with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And then we joined an ashram. I wore a turban, wrapped it every morning, wore all white, we called it our yoga whites. We had to bring fruit or flowers and lay them at the altar. Later I found out we were like bringing offerings to a Hindu god. And really what had happened is, is I had rejected my Judaism. And one day I was meditating, my eyes were closed, and I started going into this kind of like a dark place. And it got darker and darker, and I remember my whole body began to shake. I was like vibrating. I thought for a moment, I'm never gonna come back from this place. I've gotta get out of here. We sold our cars and our goods and bought backpacks, and my wife and I set out on a quest to find truth. We went to London and we got lost. So some man comes out of the side street, tall guy with a beard. He starts talking to us about Jesus. Jesus isn't for Jews, so he can talk all he wants. He leaves, he comes back about 20 minutes later with a book. And the book is a book called The God Who Is There by a man named Francis Schaeffer. We go down to the Isle of Wight, which is in the, in the English Channel, and there's a big rock concert there. It's bigger than Woodstock. And we ended up camping next to two guys. They said, we found the Guru of the West. And I said, well, who's that? And he said, well, his name is Francis Schaefer. And I said, wait a minute. I went in my backpack and I pulled out this book and this guy right here, and sure enough, it was the same guy we just heard about two weeks before in London. Cool coincidence, you know, everything was groovy back then. And so we ended up uh, hitchhiking, Belgium, France, Denmark, Holland, and we go into a bookstore and the book right in the middle of the religious section said, La Brie, which was the name of the community that, where Francis Schaefer lived. And there was a map, how to get to Labrie. We start hitchhiking and some guy picks us up and he takes us two hours out of his way, all the way and dropped us off at the front yard of Labrie. And we ended up staying. They start telling us about Jesus. And like the guy in London, I said, look it, Jesus is not for Jews and we're Jewish. And they said, yeah, but he was a Jew. Another guy was there, great, expert, an expert on prophecy, and he starts reading scriptures to us about the prophets prophesying about a Mashiach that would one day come. And they're telling us about the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. If you're Jewish, you probably have a Bible. You have a Tanakh somewhere or a Torah. Open up your Bible. Look at Isaiah 53. Open to Psalm 22. Open to Micah chapter 5. Look it up yourself. Tell me what it says to you. We had a wonderful meal for Thanksgiving and Dr. Francis Schaefer is serving what they called communion. I didn't know what communion was. What is this? And he starts talking about Jesus dying on a cross. My eyes are closed. I'm sitting on the floor and I see this picture of Jesus on a cross. I'm looking straight up and there he is. He's crucified and he's bleeding. And when I looked up, a drop of his blood comes down and hits my forehead and splatters on my forehead. I jumped, I flinched, it startled me. Every time I look up, a drop of blood comes down and splatters on my forehead. Pretty soon my forehead began to be covered with blood. And all the discussion and all the debates about theology and anthropology and geology, we talked about the flood and of all kinds of things, it became personal and I realized 
that Jesus died for me. The people came out of, uh, Israelites out of Egypt, and God gave them a system of how to come to him, how to approach him. And part of that system was sacrifice. The shedding of blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sin. But when Yeshua came, he was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. I realized that what he did on the Slav on the cross, was, was he forgave my sin. I mean, that's that new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied. I was a slave to sin, and now I am no longer slave to sin. My Jewishness is now more meaningful than ever before. You know, when a Jewish person accepts the Messiah, we don't change our religion. I feel more Jewish than ever before. We were Jewish, we, we drifted, and now we've come back again. We just accept our Messiah. Through Messianic prophecy, Highland realized that Yeshua died for him to atone for his sin. God revealed himself to Highland through his word and through a vision, confirming that only the sacrifice of Jesus can save us. Like Jacques and Highland, Ronit grew up in a fairly observant Jewish family. When her cousin came to faith in Yeshua, Ronit decided to become Orthodox, a stricter form of Judaism than she was raised with. In studying the Hebrew scriptures, Ronit realized that they were talking about Jesus. However, she knew that her family would reject her if they found out she believed Jesus was the Messiah. Listen to find out what she chose to do. Absolutely not. Do not look into this. Are you crazy? I got the message loud and clear. This Yeshua was not for us. I grew up in a family that was um, I would say like conservadox. My mom grew up orthodox, my dad grew up reform, and they kind of switched places. My dad became more orthodox and my mom became less. We kept kosher, we did, you know, place for milk, place for meat. It was always there, always present. We're Jewish. And I was very happy to be Jewish and I never wanted to be anything else. I used to go to shul and we'd sit there and we would pray along with everybody. And I'd keep up with the English because I didn't always understand the Hebrew. And a lot of the time I could feel God's presence there. I just felt like God is here. But then I would go and I would pray and I wouldn't hear back. You know, I liked synagogue. I loved the liturgy. I loved the tradition. I liked even keeping Shabbat, which, you know, isn't always popular. But I liked it. But there's a certain emptiness that was there. It's like, you know, there wasn't power. We always talked about God theoretically, but not personally. And I was so hungry for that because that's what you see in the Tanakh. There came a point after my bat mitzvah where it was just so clear that I kept praying all the prayers and I wasn't hearing. And I started to ask God, why? Why is that? And that summer, a cousin of mine came to visit. She'd just become a believer in Yeshua. And then she started talking to us about, you know, Yeshua, could he actually be the Messiah? Really? I mean, what? 
Jesus is Yeshua? Jesus could possibly be the Messiah? It just seemed so, what? Something went off in my brain like, well, we're waiting for the Messiah. What if he is? How can I find out if he is? I went to church with her once just because I was curious and it was crazy. I was surrounded by people that were running around, that were worshiping God. They had their hands up. They were jumping. There were some people my age. There were some people older. And I thought they were all insane. And I was not at all interested in what was going on. But I felt something different. And then my dad found out where we had been. All hell broke loose. My dad freaked out and nearly kicked my cousin out of the house, and she was staying with us. He did not speak to us for two weeks. I talked with my sister and my brother, because, you know, we were, had all been together. You know, what do you think? Could he be the Messiah? And my sister was horrified. It was like, I just asked the most horrible thing ever, and I could feel this, like, wall come up, like, Absolutely not. Do not look into this. Are you crazy? She said to me, go and look into our own religion. You don't even know enough yet to even think about this. So I started on a path to become Orthodox because I figured that was the way to know God. So I started to look into the prophecies. I wanted to find out, you know, who is the Messiah? What is the Messiah supposed to do? What do people say about the Messiah? As I read, the one that stood out to me the most was, was a prophet like Moses, a prophet like Moshe, and that everything that he spoke, we would be responsible for doing. And I just kept thinking like, who is a prophet like Moshe who did miracles like that? Somebody on that level. And there'd never been anyone like that really, except for Yeshua. So my sister went away for a year to kind of find herself. And, and when she got back, I knew that something had changed inside of her. I noticed such a difference in my sister. And when you grow up with somebody, you can really tell when they're faking it or when they're not. And I could see that something so significant happened in her life. She had a deep, anchor and I needed it. She ended up becoming a believer in Yeshua. I wanted that dream. I wanted that vision. I wanted that lightning experience for God to prove that he's real to me. And finally, I heard a clear voice in my heart saying, you've heard enough. You've seen enough. It's time to just believe. I couldn't deny that Yeshua was real, but I was faced with this dilemma of my dad, my friends, what's going to happen? It was such a big struggle in my heart. You know, do you go with the truth or do you go with what's comfortable? But you know, at the end, I just, I couldn't say no. I knew he was real. I knew he was true. And it was like, okay, I'm doing it. It's happening. My dad was like Mount Vesuvius erupting. He was so hurt 
You know, he took it very personally. Like, why are you betraying me? Why are you, what did I do wrong? Uh, your grandparents would be rolling over in their graves if they could hear this. You know, it would have been better if I was a drug addict than believe in Yeshua. Anything, anything except Yeshua. Whatever the cost was, I figured it's worth it. I love my family more than anything, and I want them to accept me. But sometimes when you say or you choose a side, you have to choose it and you stand on it. I mean, to have a close relationship with God, the truth is worth it. Life with, with Yeshua would be worth it. Ronit's testimony is not unusual. Many Jewish believers in Yeshua have faced pressure and persecution from friends and family. However, they agree that life with Yeshua is worth it. Amazingly, we have also heard stories of these same family members later coming to faith in Yeshua themselves. We hope these stories have encouraged you and increased your confidence in the power of God's Word. The Lord reveals Himself to people in all kinds of ways. He uses each person's story and knows just how to reach them where they are. For many Jewish believers, encountering Messianic prophecies was one of the key ways Yeshua drew them to Himself. We leave you with Luke 24, verse 4 and verses 46 to 47, in which Jesus says that the entire Hebrew Bible testifies about Him. All things which are written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and Grace Swee, written by Rachel Larson, and edited by Grace Swee. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Kyron Bautista, Abraham Vazquez, and ifoundshalom.com in partnership with One for Israel. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at OurHopePodcast.com support. See you next time 